Um, we're in this series, The Seven Deadly Sins. By the way, my name is Joel Daly, if we haven't met, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at the West Haven campus, and I just want to reiterate what Trevor said. We are just so glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, it was a choice to get up and come here, so uh, thank you for coming to hear God's Word, and uh, again, if you're a first-time guest, uh, we would love to know that you are here, so let us know you are here, how we can get you connected, and and uh, there's one rule here, and that it's there's no perfect people allowed, okay? There's no perfect people allowed. And that's really why we're talking about uh, the seven deadly sins in this series that we're in. So we're in this series, and uh, I'm sure if you've joined us the last two weeks, it's been pretty challenging for you. And this is the thing, is that all of these sins affect us either directly or indirectly. And so it's really prevalent to all of us. But I want you to do your best to take a look at yourself and not sit here and think, I wish this person were here to hear this, right? Uh, it's so easy to do that, but, but take a look at your own heart and your own life. And uh, really, I want to start off this morning by asking you a question, and it's, have you ever been a victim of expectation versus reality? Or maybe false advertising, as you could call it. I have a few examples of this that are just kind of a little fun. So, you know, you see the McDonald's commercial, you're sitting there on your couch, it's like it looks all good and juicy, like on the left, you can see all the ingredients, and then you go to the restaurant, you wait 45 minutes, and then you get uh, the reality, which is kind of this smushed together, it's all droopy and gross and wet and everything, right? That's expectation versus reality. Here's another one. Uh, Pop-Tarts, for those of you who are Pop-Tarts, love, I love Pop-Tarts, and when I'm walking in the breakfast aisle, and I see this, I'm like, oh my gosh, so much frosting and, and sprinkles and everything like that. And then you open it up and it looks like that on the right. And then another lie about this is that, okay, show me where seven good vitamins and minerals are in a Pop-Tart, right? Like, there's, that doesn't exist. Uh, maybe you like the cake baking shows. You know, where, where you, see, you see this great-looking cake for your kid's first birthday, and so you try to recreate it, and it turns out to give the kids nightmares. Like, they're on the right. And then this is the last one. I don't even really need to say anything. I don't know why you would try that. I don't know why you would try to recreate it. I mean, it kind of looks like a human being, uh, but that's Elsa and then uh, someone else there on the right. Uh, but we're in this series, and, and uh, we're talking about sin, and this is really what sin does. Sin is, is a great expectation versus reality, because when we, what we expect sin to deliver when we do it in our lives, it doesn't deliver the way that we thought it would. And we've talked about in this series, you know, so we've set the groundwork for what sin is. Sin is going our own way instead of going God's way very simply, but sin is more than just breaking certain rules, and uh, sin is, is a deep, deep-rooted uh, thing that affects all of us in our lives, in the way that we live, and it's not just uh, one choice that we make here or there. It can be a pattern of these destructive habits that can ultimately ruin our lives. I'm sure we can all think of someone who, whose life has just been thrashed by sin, right? And sin leads ultimately to death, and that's why these are called seven deadly sins. I love this quote about sin. It says, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, 
and cost you more than you want to pay. This is so good because this is exactly what happens. Sin starts out small. We think it's not that significant, but then years later, months later, weeks later, we look at our life and we say, how did I get here? It takes you further than you wanted to go when you initially did it. It keeps you longer than you want to stay because it's not as simple as just disengaging, and then it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And this can mean so many things to us, right? It can mean jobs, it can mean family, it can mean relationships, friendships, all of these things. See, sin is a, is a serious, uh, serious thing in our lives. Sin distorts uh, uh, good things. See, because sin can be fun, right? Sin, can, sin is enticing. That's why we do it. We, it's, it's something that we feel like, oh, I want to do that. It looks attractive. But when we do it, it, it takes that good thing and it distorts it into something else. And I think the worst thing about sin is it alienates and isolates us from our relationships. First with God, and then secondly with those around us. When, when you are living in sin, this pattern of these destructive choices, you push people away from you because you don't want them to tell you what you don't want to hear. Right? How often do, do you love someone so much and you, you're honest with them and they just freak out on you, right? That's because they're fighting against that desire um, of sin in their lives. And so this morning, uh, we're going to take a look at one of the seven deadly sins, but here's where we've, here's all seven of them. And this is a centuries-old list. So we have pride, envy, anger, gluttony, greed, sloth, and lust. We've already looked at pride and greed. Those were uh, pretty challenging. This morning, we're going to look at the deadly sin of lust. This is going to be a fun one. Um, you're not going to make eye contact with anyone in the room today. This is kind of one of those sermons, right? Where, um, but this is something that is so pervasive in our culture and in our personal lives. I, I think a lot of us probably don't realize how big of a problem it may be in our lives. I know I was there. I'll share a little bit more about that um, before. But, th- but this is the thing. With, with these seven sins, none of these sins are uh, like any worse than the others, and this isn't every sin in the Bible. Uh, These are just a collection of seven deadly sins for centuries that have destroyed people's lives, that have left people uh, really hopeless. I mean, that's ultimately what sin does. It leaves us hopeless in our lives. And the goal of this message today, but also in this whole series, is not that you would just pull up your bootstraps and get your life together. Because ultimately, our sin... The solution to our sin begins and it ends with God. Okay, God has to be the one to, in your life, work whatever needs to be worked out so that you can live a holy life, which means to be set apart. It's not your effort. It's not anything like that. And this sin of lust, you know, when you think of lust, because, you know, I, I just assumed something. I don't know if you noticed before. I assumed, you know what I'm talking about when I say lust. Because lust can be a lot of things. It can be for money. It can be for power. It can be for influence. It could be for, you know, whatever, relationships. But when we think of lust, we probably think of, of a sexual desire, right? That's what most of us think of. In fact, if you look up the dic- in the dictionary what lust is, the first definition is a strong sexual desire, okay? And as with all sin... It takes good things and it distorts them and it perverts them into things that they're not. 
And before we get into this, because this may be, this may be a heavy topic for some of us today, I just want to offer you encouragement that, that you know, there, there is, first off, if you have trusted in Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. There's no shame. God doesn't give shame. God doesn't do that. That's, that's what the enemy does for us. There is a way out if you're struggling with this deadly sin of lust. And I do want to say this, too. This is not just a men problem. <laughs> this is an everybody problem, okay? It may manifest itself in different ways, but I want you, I, there is hope today, and that's what we're going to look at as we look to God's Word. But before I do that, I just, I do want to pray before we get into God's Word this morning. So let's just pray one more time together. God, thank you so much, Lord, for, again, your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, Lord, and that there's nothing too big for you to handle, God. And I pray that we would all believe that, God, that we would just really be uh, challenged this morning, that we would be um, encouraged, God, because you love us enough to, uh, God, not let any temptation overtake us, and you show us a way out. And there's always a way out, God, because you're a way maker. And so we pray that we would believe that and we would see that this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first thing that we need to understand about lust is this, is that lust is a false pathway to sexual fulfillment, turning a good thing into a selfish thing. I've heard so many people who aren't Christians, maybe you're sitting in here this morning and you're not, a, you're not a professing Christian, we're again so glad you're here, and they say that Christians say that sex is a bad thing. Christians are just a bunch of prudes, they, you know, they don't, they think, they say not to have sex, they say all these things, sex is bad, the Bible says that, and I'm like, well, where are you reading this? Because the Bible, number one, does not say that, Jesus never said that, in fact, it's the opposite. In the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, First of all, if you read the Song of Songs and you're trying to say, well, this is my relationship with Jesus. and No, that's not it. It's about marital sex. It's, it's about how sex is a good thing. This is what it says in the very first chapter of the Bible, the very first book of the Bible. Then God blessed them, them being Adam and Eve, and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. You see, this word, be fruitful, which is bolded here, that literally means to be intimate sexually. To multiply means to have kids. So God is telling them to do this, and it's a good thing. God blessed them, right? Like, God didn't have to bless, make sex a blessing. He could have just made it this transactional thing to have kids, but he made it a blessing. And so this is also echoed thousands of years later by Jesus, See, Jesus did talk about sex because he said, and he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, whenever you read the Bible, we read it in English, unless you're, uh, you know, Greek or Hebrew, which if you do, come talk to me um, after the service, but this word united, this word is used in other places in the Bible, and every other place it's used, it means sexual intimacy, so Jesus is saying the, the husband, the man, leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And this is a physical, sexual relationship. See, sex is a good thing, is affirmed by God, is affirmed by Jesus, who is God, is affirmed by the Bible, right? So we don't have to have this, this negative view of it. And we can correct people uh, when they say this, you can go to these two verses and see, see, Jesus said sex is a good thing. However, 
What sin does is sin takes a good thing and it perverts it and it distorts it and it twists it. And this is where lust comes in because lust is a, again, it's a false pathway to sexual fulfillment. So we think that's the way to be sexually fulfilled, but it's actually not the way because sex is selfless, or it should be. Lust makes it selfish. See, the difference between the two is not what I can give, not what I can do for the other person, but what the other person can do for me. This is what lust does. It's, it's totally, it's filling our own desires, right? And this can even happen in marriage. You can lust after your spouse for what they can give you, for what they can do for you, right? And you can forget that it's, it's a give and a take thing. It's a get, you should be giving. And through that, God blesses you and you receive. That's how God works. But this can happen in marriage. You know, this brought up a good, because I was, as I was preparing for this, it brought up a good question because, you know, what is the line between attraction and lust? Because I'm super attracted to my wife, right? She's hot. I love her, right? I tell her that every time I get the chance. But what's this line between attraction and lust? Well, it's kind of a a hazy line, but I want to look at this story that you're probably familiar with. It's in 2 Samuel 11, 2 through 4, and this is the story of David and Bathsheba, okay? Late one afternoon... After his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Okay. So we can see by the end of the story that David has made a mistake, right? David is the king. There's so much going on here culturally that would take a whole other sermon to unpack. But this is my question is where does it seem in this passage that lust begins, right? Where does it begin? Well, I think it begins when he sent someone. You see, Noticing Bathsheba, and and culturally, Bathsheba was probably trying to be seen. It wasn't just, you know, she's this innocent. No, she knows that David is the king, and he's up here, and she can be seen by him. She's, She's trying to be seen. Again, this is the cultural stuff that goes behind this. But when David notices her... And then decides to do something about it. See, there's a time, and we don't know for sure because it's not super detailed, but somewhere in between there, lust came into the picture. One person said that the difference between attraction and lust is five seconds. That's not scientific. but, But the point of that is noticing, oh, that person's attractive. And then going about your day as opposed to, oh, that person's attractive right? And then, and then, and then you're, you're going through all these thoughts, you're fantasizing, and it leads to thing after thing after thing. That's full-blown lust, right? The difference between lust is five seconds. But see, this is the thing, is that lust is not just a physical act. And that's really what we see in this story. See, it started as something just within David's own mind, 
and it led to adultery. Okay, because Uriah, Uriah is married to Bathsheba. They're committing adultery. Uriah is away at war. And this is the second thing that we need to understand is that lust has a bigger impact than we think, physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. I think we're created as beings, those four things we possess. We're physical, we have emotions, we're relational with people around us, and obviously we're connected to God. Lust affects all of these things. You see in this story, as you read on in this story, so David sleeps with Uriah, okay? Then what does David do? uh, Sorry, not Uriah, Bathsheba, there's a lot of names here, okay? Sorry. He did not sleep with Uriah. Um, but he, he sleeps with Bathsheba. That, I did that on purpose. He sleeps with Bathsheba. And then, and then there's, there, he lives in this honor-shame culture. And so to make himself innocent, he brings Uriah back from the war, a war which David should have been at. Okay, that's, that's a problem right there. And he, he has Uriah uh, go and he says, you know, go enjoy your wife. Go have sex with your wife. You know, make, make things right. But Uriah has integrity and he says, no, I, all my men are at war. I'm not going to do that. So he sleeps outside. David gets him drunk and then says, go sleep with your wife. And even when he's drunk, he goes and sleeps at the city gates. So David's like, okay, what am I going to do here to, to get this shame off of me? And so what he does is he, he talks to his army commander and he says, okay, I'm going to send Uriah back. I'm going to put him on the front lines. I'm going to, and, and you are going to have everyone pull back so that Uriah is overwhelmed by the enemy and killed. And through that, not only Uriah was killed, but other soldiers were killed along with him. So, so there's literally, it starts with this thought and it leads to murder. Right? Murder not only of Uriah, but of all these other soldiers. This is, lust is so much bigger than just a physical act. And we need to understand this. It says this, Jesus, if I say, but, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Okay, when, when you read that, you're like, oh no, I've looked at someone, right? Like that's our, that's our initial reaction. Again, this is why it's important to know what that word means. This word looks, it means to literally gaze upon. So again, you know, looking intently at someone, to gaze upon them. And this isn't just, this is, this is an example, but this is men looking at women or women looking at men. And right from the get-go, you can see there's no physical act, but you've already committed adultery in your heart. See, this is emotionally, this is relationally. In the story of David, think back, how, how many relationships would have been affected by his decision? Right? Imagine his own, when Nathan later tells him that he murdered a man and David's repentant and sorry. Right? It's, it's so much more than just a physical thing. 
And Jesus, Jesus is using an extreme example here, as, as often teachers did in the day. He, he was saying that not to literally cut off your hand or gouge out your eye, but what he's saying is, is that this is such a big problem, pervasive problem, that we should take it seriously. That if, if, if you have to suffer or sacrifice now, it's worth it because you'll suffer later. You see, lust is, is an idol that we can put in our lives. It's something that can take place of the place of God in our lives. God should always come first, but often we put things above God. And so Jesus is saying that this is a really, really, really big deal, and we should take it seriously. One of the things that um, we have to talk about, because, you know, this is thousands of years ago, but today, what's the biggest instigator of lust, I think, if a lot of us think of it, is pornography, right? Pornography. Pornography is a hundred billion dollar a year industry. A hundred billion. There's a, there's a few stats I want to share. Um, in just two years ago, so it's probably gone up, unfortunately, on one website, one pornographic website, six... 1,650 centuries of porn were consumed in one year. Centuries. 6,650 centuries. You know, maybe a little closer to home, the average age that a child views pornography is 10. Before, before uh, even junior high school. And then, this is not just a men problem, because it's now a third women as opposed to two-thirds men. And that number is becoming more and more equal as the years go on. I mean, this is, a, this is a huge, huge issue in our society. And it affects not only physically but emotionally, relationally, right? It's not just this. It's, I mean, there, there's unfortunately tragic things happen because it started here and it ended here when it comes to lust, when it comes to pornography. You know, I, I, uh, I believe in transparency. I'm not pointing fingers at you. Pornography is something that I struggled with for years. I, I first saw pornography when I was nine. I, I first heard about sex in a lustful, pornographic way when I was in first grade. I mean, I didn't understand it at the time. But I was like, oh, now in hindsight, I get that. By the time I was in high school, everyone had a, I don't have my phone on me, but everyone had, was starting to get smartphones, and they were pulling up pornography in seconds, and many of them were, right? This, this is something that affected the way that, I, it, the way that I viewed women, the way that I viewed men. It's stuff that I've had to have healing from in my marriage, like, this, this is something that is super serious, and I can personally attest to that. And so I get what, what you're going through if you're in this prison, right? And there's so much guilt, there's so much shame associated with it. The point is, is it hurts people. You know, it doesn't, it's not just pornography either. This isn't just a pornography sermon. It's, it's the way you look at people. It's the way you think about people. It's the way you read about people, Right? process people. And this is why I think Paul 
says this in 1 Thessalonians. He, he's, he's talking about sanctification, and that means to be made holy, to be healed. And he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body, see right there, spirit, soul, body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a bigger problem than just physical. And again, I, I want to be clear because may God sanctify you, not yourself. You know, you don't, again, there, you can try, but it's probably going to fail, ultimately. And so this morning, I, I don't want this to be a, a downer the whole time, because there is hope, and this is really the action step this morning, is this last point. What we need to understand is that lust feeds on secrecy and starves in transparency. Some of you were just like, oh, shoot. Right? You know, there, we as people, I feel like, uh, overestimate our ability to control situations. For me, it's like when I want to eat better. But I go to my pantry and I have Doritos and I have Pop-Tarts and I have Oreos. And then it's like, you know, we bought the salad and it's like, I'm not eating. I'm not eating that, right? Like, if it's in the house, if Pop-Tarts are in the house, even if they looked how they did, I'm going to scarf them down. <laughs> we, we overestimate our ability to control the situation because we want to minimize it. We want it to seem like it's not as serious as it is. We're in control. But see, the truth is with lust is that if we're, if we're, not, if we're not starving it, we're feeding it. There's, there's no neutral ground when it comes to this. I know that's kind of, kind of hard. It's kind of a hard truth, but, but that is the truth. If you're not starving it, you're feeding it. You know, so all of these things uh, we can do. We can, you know, if, you, if, if it's pornography, you can get rid of your computer. You can get rid of your smartphone. You can do all these things. If, if it's looking at people, you can go to the gym with a friend to keep you accountable. You know, you can do all these things. We can make this whole big checklist, but I want to keep it simple this morning because I, I want you to do one thing. If this, if this sin is the sin you're struggling with, I want you to do this. I want you to confess. Confess. This is kind of a churchy word, so I, I put what this means. It's to acknowledge and to not deny. And this doesn't mean that you, you have to go and, and do confession. I mean, you could do that. It could mean a lot of things. It could mean you talk to a friend, a family member, whoever. But there's really two, there's two people we need to, two types of confession we need to talk about. This is the first. It's to God. Because John said this, if we confess our sins to him, to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. You see, God alone can forgive sin. God alone can forgive sin in a, in a salvation sense. And this is the whole reason Jesus went to the cross, right? We talk about this every week. This is the gospel. But this is important because God alone can take our sin and make it right. We can't do that. No one else can do that for us. That's something that Jesus did on the cross. And this word confess, again, it means to acknowledge, to not deny. If you have, if you're struggling with the sin, 
Because God is, I love this, he's faithful and he's just to forgive. So that's the first thing. You need to go to God, you need to ask God for forgiveness. And maybe that's the easier step for you. Maybe, okay, I I can do that. I can pray today or right now or whenever. But maybe this next step is going to be more difficult. But this is part of the process, is confessing to others. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You see, God forgives, God heals in a spiritual sense, but there may be a lot of relational healing that needs to take place. And this is why we confess our sins to each other. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to come up here on the stage and say, hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. I... No, that's not what this means. But with someone in your life who you trust, maybe it's your spouse, maybe, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a mentor, someone confess your sins and pray that God can do what only God can do in order that you may be healed, so that you may be healed. Because I promise you this, you know, this is a scary thing. But for me personally, with my battle with this, it wasn't until I did both of these confessions that I had consistent victory. And it's hard because you feel like a lot of shame, like you're dirty, right? Like no one, but, but here, here's, everyone is. <laughs> We're all sinners, right? That's, that's what Jesus came to save the sinner, not the saint. Because if you think you're a saint, you don't need to be saved. You're already good. But if you're a sinner, if you're willing to confess this, to pray for each other, then you can be healed. And, and, and maybe, you know, this is, this, is, uh, this is difficult. It's simple, but it's difficult. But I promise you this, because the prison that you're living in, keeping this hidden, keeping this private, keeping this secret, is so much worse than the pain of confessing it to others. In other words, it's going to be so worth it to get this off of your chest if you struggle with this. This is really any sin, right? For some reason, our culture, we elevate sexual sin, unfortunately. But this is just like every other sin. But it affects us deeply. And so, as we end today, I want to look at one more verse that kind of ties all this together. It's in Proverbs. This is wisdom literature. People who conceal who hide their sins, will not prosper. But if they confess and turn away from them, through the power of the Spirit, they will receive mercy. So as we end today, I want to talk to two people. I want to talk to the person who is actively struggling with this, who doesn't see a way out. There is a way out. I promise. It's a difficult road. There's a lot of healing that needs to take place, but there's a way out. And and it's going to start with confession, confession to God, confession to others. So my prayer for you today is that you would understand that you're not going to be struck down if you struggle with this. God's going to forgive you. Other people are going to help you heal. So have the boldness to go and to confess today. And then for the person who um, maybe is going to be confessed too, 
I just encourage you to treat that person with as much grace and understanding and mercy as you can. There may be hurt. You know, if this is in a marriage, there's going to be hurt. There's going to be the feeling of betrayal. There's going to be the feeling of um, just, it's not going to be the most fun thing in the world. But for you, try to, try to treat them with as much understanding and grace and mercy because that's exactly how Christ treated all of us, right? There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. Let's pray. God, I just uh, thank you, Lord, for, again, your grace. God, we can never thank you enough for what you did, Jesus, for us on the cross, that you took all of our sin and all of our shame all of our imperfections, all of our brokenness, everything, God, and you paid the price, the penalty that we deserved. God, and so first and foremost, I pray that we, that we would genuinely see, God, if, if there's someone in here who's just taken so deep into the sin of lust, God, that you would show them who you are and what you've done for them through Jesus on the cross. God, and that they don't have to get their life together before they come to you. They can come to you exactly how they are. God, and I pray that, um, God, if there's, if there's people in here, God, who maybe are going to be the recipient of someone opening up to them, God, that you would just let them know that you love them too. God, that you would help them to show Christ to the other person, even though there may be hurt, even though there may be pain sadness. God, and ultimately, Lord, it, this is what sin is. God, it, it, it just, it brings us down. It discourages us. It makes us feel like there's no way out. God, but there is a way out. Lord, because of what you've done for us, God, and so I, I pray, God, for whether it's this morning, whether it's at home, whether wherever it is, God, that Anytime these conversations take place, that, God, your compassion would shine through. God, thank you for the way that you heal all of us. God, thank you for the way that you have, have led all of us, God, to live a life that honors you. God, and I pray that if there's someone in here this morning who maybe hasn't trusted you, Jesus, that they would, that they would see the end of themselves. God, that they would see that they don't have the answers, that they don't have the power, that they don't have the ability to fix their lives, but that you, God, do have that power and that ability. God, so again, just be with us, Lord, as we close the service today. God, help us to uh, just walk with you more closely, love you more fully, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.